0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan,
1: And the time is 5.05 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. This Monday that the Lord has made... May 6, 2019, I'm sure you know what it is, and um, I'm Jesse Giston, as you heard, and you are you, and uh, we're together for another couple of hours, looking forward to conversing with you on topics that uh, come to your mind, come to my mind, and maybe we can do something for the next two hours around being edified uh, in this free gift of... um, freedom of speech, if you will, being able to talk about things that matter to us in our world, how precious it is to be able to talk. I was thinking uh, about 30 minutes ago before I came into the studio about um, the chatter that goes on in our world, the the dialogue, the conversations, the the way in which people interact and engage in the bulk of conversation the bulk of chatter the bulk of dialogue the bulk of communication on the part of our secular world as i as I listen every day to try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on is horizontal in nature and what I mean by that is you're listening largely to local news or national news or international news you're listening to politics you're listening to maybe economics you're listening to uh social programs you're dealing with maybe uh global warming you may be dealing with uh something even uh, maybe even more personal like uh medical uh issues there uh, appears to be uh, a growing uh reoccurrence of uh of uh of of the measles in our country and uh things that we thought we were through with a while ago here they are uh, reoccurring um And so, yeah, when you you watch the news or listen to the media, however, whatever form you use to to listen to it, you're bombarded by horizontal issues, worldly issues, issues that pertain to our world. And I'm not, not really saying that that's something that we shouldn't be concerned about. We really should in a lot of ways because, well, we're still here. But I think my question would be to you, how do you process all of the chatter, how do, you, how do you engage, how do you deal with, how do you uh, work through, how do you filter, if you will, all of the talk that goes on on a horizontal plane. And I think if you're like I am, you'll notice that there's a kind of tenor to it, and it's not good. As a rule, very frequently most of what's going on in our media It's about things that are uh, worth being uh, complained about, things that are broken, things that are uh, not working, things that are problematic, just trouble, trouble, trouble across the spectrum. Again, from the political world with our president and all of the things that are going on in the Senate and the House, all the way down to our physical bodies and the troubles that are going on in our bodies. Uh, and, And you just wonder. How do you how do you manage that? How do you work that through? How do you how do you ultimately deal with all of that stuff going on as a child of the living God, as a believer in Christ? How do you work through work through um, those things? For me, uh, every day what I, I do, I get up on a, a Monday morning after worship, and, I, and by the way, I hope your worship was well yesterday. I don't want to presume that you. Um, are not where I am in terms of uh, having come off of a great Lord's Day and maybe had a wonderful time in worship. Certainly the benefit of fellowship with, with people of like mind around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what makes worship so wonderful. Uh, we wake up on a Monday morning after a great day of congregational fellowship. And again, I I trust that's the case for you. Thanking God for His mercies, right, and then asking uh, Him to guide us and to to give us the ability to to honor Him on today. Now, here we are later on in the evening, five o'clock. We're getting ready to wind down the day. and uh, and, and how was it for you? How was it for you today? Uh, for me, I woke up this morning, kind of uh, dealing with a number of things. I call them menial tasks, particularly on Monday, but they are they're important to me. I have to do some reading. I have to do some listening in terms of different uh, different narratives, different uh, uh, topics, different uh, social issues that come to the forum that are critical to the gospel and to the people of God. I have to listen to sermons if I can or certainly work through different books or texts of scripture in preparation for study for the week, different articles, etc., that draw my attention. Got a couple of them I do want to share with, with you today, at least on a thought level. Maybe that'll launch us into some conversation. In fact, I hope they do because this is kind of where I'm at right now in my excursion and journey as a pastor, as a believer, as one who who influences people with, with proclamation and, and proposition. Um, I'm always thinking about where I am in my relationship to God in Christ, in the spirit of the living God, and, and, and what my present privileges and responsibilities and callings are to be as a child of God at this time. So I'm always thinking about how my vertical relationship with God should manifest itself on a daily level so that I can, I can influence people. And I would probably say on a theological level, I am, I'm very much concerned with a vital union with Jesus Christ and the work of sanctification, as you know the term, having a significant impact on my life so that every day I am able to actually see the world the way God would want me to see the world. But not just see it, sense it, understand what's going on in the world that God made, of which I am an integral part of it, both on the horizontal as well as on the spiritual. I want to sense it. I want to know what are the vital and important elements of our world for the believer today. How do we engage our world today in a way that is effective? effective effective uh by which we can impact our world for good and i think really my friends if you're you're listening to me the way that's done is by making sure that you and i have a, a, a i mean a healthy i mean a, a robust growing walk with god so that what people get from you and me in terms of uh god's providence to let us enter into their lives and and, and, and they us uh, is something of a, a divine encounter. Don't want to sound too spooky with that. But I mean, if you and I are right, when, when a person is given a moment to pause and to engage us, if we're right, if we're in the right place, if we're in the right space, if we're doing what we are exhorted to do, um, set your affection on things above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God and and, and since you and I have been risen together with Christ, that is our indicative state as born again believers, set your affection on things above where Christ is so that when men and women engage you, what they get is a portal into heaven, at least for a moment. And they realize that there is more to life than they hear in the media than they hear in terms of politics and economics and social issues and and the drudgeries of life. And yes, even the painful issues of uh, of uh, terrorist attacks and and uh, uh, killings that take place on the part of deranged human beings who do not know how to reconcile a good and glorious and sovereign and righteous God. And a uh, a broken, sinful, uh, depraved uh, and dark and evil world don't know how to do it. And therefore, out of frustration, take up arms to try to better the matter, only making things worse. Uh, that's not your call. It's not my call. We're called to be people of peace. We're called to be people of righteousness and we're called to the ministry of reconciliation, whatever that might, m- whatever that might mean for you in the moment. Uh, That's what we're called to. But if that's going to happen, I I think you would agree, and we'll get a chance over the next hour and 45 minutes to to test this theory, that if I'm going to make an impact in people's lives in a significant way, it's going to have to be because I actually drink deeply of the well of grace and engage God in the person of Christ and by his spirit at a profound enough level that my thoughts— in my affections, in my heart, and therefore my conversation is ready to actually engage people on substantial matters, matters that really do matter. When I come to this forum here, when I'm able to uh, exercise the privilege of talking to you for two hours every Monday, um, I'm talking to a particularly narrow audience, not to say that there aren't there aren't unbelievers out there that are listening. That's certainly true. But as a rule, what I'm talking to here, because this is a Christian radio ministry, I'm talking to professing believers. You are professing believers. And therefore, there's a a certain set of assumptions by which you operate. You are uh, presumably a believer in Christ. You are presumably a person who actually embraces the Bible as the Word of God. So when you listen to me, I don't sound like the grating of fingernails on the chalkboard simply because I really do strive to be biblical. Uh, And therefore, uh, we, we try to go away from Monday's uh, with a level of insight and edification that is uh, worthy of, uh, of glorifying God. i got an article here. I'm going to read this before the break. I want to read it and kind of let this be a thought for you. So one of the areas I'm really thinking about as we are working through for our New Year's theme here at Grace, and you guys, often my audience is made captive to a lot of uh, our agenda at GBC, uh, is the issue of integrity. Integrity. The idea of integrity is to be whole, is to be complete, is to walk with a level of harmony and unity and coherence, comprehensiveness. Uh, It's the idea of uh, being true and faithful and consistent. Uh, Integrity has everything to do with a process by which one strives by the grace of God, God working in them, particularly in the context of a believer, to walk in harmony with God, and therefore in harmony with ourselves. Integrity then would would take on the whole task, really, of what the gospel is. The gospel comes to you and me in the integrity of God's purposes and promises. Its power converts us by the integrity of the person and work of Jesus Christ, now being imparted to us by his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and sending the Holy Ghost. Now that you're a new creature in Christ, integrity is working to make you whole personally as you are whole positionally. So that sanctification in your life and mine is a journey of integrity. Proverbs eleven three says it like this, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. When you think about that, we think about the, the life that you and I are living every day, every hour, every minute, every second. If God is working in us the will and the do of his, his good pleasure, and he is, if we he is, then this word integrity does matter to you because where integrity is not operating in us, we are in a state of brokenness. We're in a state of uh, chaos, a lack of coherence, a lack of clarity, a lack of unity, a lack of coherence, a lack of soundness. You're going to hear me use that term a little bit today. Uh, And where there's a lack of soundness, coherence, unity, harmony, oneness with God and and therefore a a sense of a good conscience uh, by the resurrection of Christ from the dead and our ability to walk in him in the light uh, where that's absent, you and I are struggling. And one of the areas that are clear indicators that we are struggling is in our emotions. I'm reading an article that's called Your Emotions aren't the most or least important thing about you. Your emotions aren't the most or least important things about you. When I saw the title, I thought that was pretty pithy. I mean, often because we are given to extremes, we will say our emotions are nothing. They don't mean anything. They, they, they shouldn't. Uh, You know, be even factored into the equation of how I work, who I am, what my identity is, and and what are those particular attributes and uh, predications that make up me. Well, that's a lie. You know that. That's not true. Your emotions play a major role in how you think, what you perceive, how you respond, how you react, how you hope, how you aspire, how weak you are, how how, uh, timid you are, how angry you are, how frustrated you are. How doubtful you are! Emotions play a major role in shaping the tenor and character of your thoughts, and therefore your choices. So, when the author says your emotions aren't the most or least important thing, I said, "Let me read this." So, I'm going to read a portion, and then I'm going to take a break. Come back, read another portion, and I'm going to engage you in what I think was a pretty good insight into why it's important for the believer to be able to have a balanced and biblical and proper understanding of the usefulness of his or her emotions uh, in the in the Christian life. This is written by one Alistair Groves. He just wrote it recently. He says, do your emotions define you? If you answer yes, you have a bit of a biblical problem if your emotions define you. Nothing about your identity in Christ, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, or purpose as a member of God's family rests on your emotions. Your emotions can't possibly define you more fundamentally than these things do. That is your identity in Christ, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, or your purpose as a member of God's family. However, if you answer, no, my emotions do not define me. You also have a problem with scriptures teaching the Bible shows over and over again that our emotions flow from what we love and worship. This is why those who love the Lord, his people and his kingdom can actually rejoice, which is an emotion in the face of persecution, ridicule, and even physical assault for the sake of the gospel. It's also why those who love comfort, reputation, wealth, or any other false hope will rejoice in things that grieve God and hate what he loves. And in short, if our emotions flow from what we treasure, how can they not define us in a significant way, right? Our emotions don't define us in the sense of undercutting God's definition of who we are, but they do define us in that they reveal and express our heart's ultimate loyalties. He got it right, didn't he? Because neither of these biblical realities can be minimized. Our emotions are neither the most important thing about us, something to be worshiped, nor are they the least important. A problem to be avoided or ignored. I don't like the way he constructed that, nor are they the least important, a problem to be avoided or ignored, which people often do, as you know, try to avoid how you feel, try to avoid your emotions. That's a problem. Unfortunately. This puts us in direct conflict with two prevailing problematic ideas in the culture or cultural air that we breathe. He goes on to say a number of things that I think are worthy of reading, reading, but I do have to take a break, pay some bills. Uh, When I come back, I'll continue uh, talking to us briefly about what is stated, your emotions, are not the most and they are not the least important thing. And how do we actually integrate our emotions into the integrity of who we are in terms of our identity in Christ, in terms of our communion with God and in terms of our fellowship with one another? And, and I think probably even beyond that, how do we demonstrate the wholeness of Christ's Uh, impactfully on an evangelical level to people that are outside of the kingdom of God. I'm going to continue talking about that. This is your host, Jesse Gistan on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open one triple eight I'll take your questions and comments and things of that nature. So long as you behave yourself, I'll be glad to do that. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Do you have a handle on your emotions? I'll be right back.
0: And now back to Lifeline. And
1: we're back to time 529 uh, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We have been reading an article stating your emotions aren't the most or least important things about you. One by one Alice Der Groves. He happens to be a a Christian and Arthur Uh, And and one striving for um, higher education on a theological level. He says the loudest voice in the Western world tells us that our emotions are everything. I would agree with that. The things that most defines us. You live among a people whose cultural practice increasingly proclaims that what you feel is the most important thing about you. Highest good our culture seeks is having good feelings. Therefore, a problem with your feeling is your biggest problem. Mm, interesting, isn't it? If you have a problem with your feelings, it's like the biggest problem in your life. Given this, the next step our culture takes is quite natural. You need to be and express yourself as pretty much uh, at pretty much all cost. This is why we value getting it off our chest, letting off steam, just being honest, and so on. We're instructed to handle the fragile baggage of our emotions by expressing them to the fullest, no matter what others may think or rearranging the furniture around us to make space for them. We applaud the courage of those who refuse to silently accept the world as it is. Our emotions are neither the most important thing about us, something to be worshipped, nor are they the least important, a problem to be avoided and ignored as he repeats. None of this is peculiar to the secular world, he says. The church has its versions of this emotional obsession. That's a good word, emotional obsession. I think we can unpack that. We can attach that. For example, we often elevate emotional experience to the peak of Sunday morning worship. The goal of the sermon is to feel deeply convicted or inspired. The goal of the music is to feel a rush of ecstasy or thanksgiving. The goal of coffee hours to feel connected and included. This mentality often drives personal devotion as well. We, we evaluate it based on whether we feel Jesus' beauty or feel less anxious or feel closer to God. Please hear me. These feelings are wonderful in themselves. We ought to be moved by God's word and rejoice when sermons or songs touch our hearts. But it's easy for a healthy appreciation of emotion to slide into an unhealthy emotionalism that makes emotion itself the point. Uh, So he says, suck it up. Here's the opposite side. On the other side, on the first side, he said, emotions are everything. He's saying now emotions are nothing. There's a second opposite instinct out there. It holds that we should treat emotions like you would a rabid dog that has wandered into your living room. You get that graphic picture. (laughs) Can this instinct keeping a stiff upper lip stoicism or being a tough guy? The second voice from our culture argues that emotions are not to be trusted. I largely agree with that. Action movies, corporate culture, sports heroes, and our, Adoration of brave activists all remind us that the stoic voice in our culture isn't completely a thing of the past. Given the moral and spiritual slide emotionalism facilitates in our broader culture, it's not hard to understand why this stoic approach to emotions has been popular in Christian circles. See, really what he's talking about, y'all, this is PJ talking now, is the perilous pendulum. Swinging from one extreme to the other, never, ever landing in the middle and having the balance of both and where they are legitimate. There are people he's describing, and I know them as a pastor now for many years, who are scared to death of emotional integrity. Now, I'm not talking about emotional obsession. I'm talking about emotional integrity who are scared to death of emotional integrity because it makes them vulnerable. They might have to tell a truth about how weak and feeble they are, about how sinful they are and how about about how hypocritical they are. But being more stoic and being more austere and then being more bit on uh, a, a kind of stiff, stiff, stiff armed uh, distance from people, they can pretend that they are all right when in fact they're not all right at all. And when you, when you enlarge this to a local congregation, let me just kind of expand on that. And I'd be glad to hear from you on this topic. What if you have a congregation of a hundred people? And boy, if you have more, that's a problem too. But let's say you have a congregation of a hundred people who don't have a real healthy biblical balance on the integrity of emotion. Let's call it emotional integrity. And they got issues. And I mean, you know, Real issues, let's say traditional issues, value issues, let's say personal issues, let's say family issues, let's say denominational issues, because quite frankly, there are a lot of denominations out there that are tagged and rightly so by a stoic kind of cold, distant disposition when people walk in. That, that absence of any kind of emotional integrity that would take delight in what God takes delight in. And that is God actually bringing somebody different into our congregation today. One of the things that I, I, I remember years ago when we first started Grace and I first started off in the ministry with a small congregation of about 25 or 35 people. And when uh, new people would come in. The the handful of people that were a part of us were not ready to embrace them. They didn't know what to do with people that weren't like them. And and there was a very clear disconnect between our little flock and and that family or that individual or that weird brother that came in. And I had to intentionally engage in dialogue and conversation about the biblical model of the kingdom of God being one of a welcoming while discerning disposition on the part of those that came in and uh it is hard work to to get men and women to be able to exercise emotional integrity at the level of uh becoming a authentically welcoming church versus a congregation that is just putting on the kind of Mary case smile and 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 bringing people in and giving them cards and having them write this and write that. You know the kind of superficial thing that often goes on in churches but and that would go to the other extreme, right? Just kind of an uh, emotional obsession, worried about what people think here, there, and the other. The average individual coming into your local congregation, the average, the average, if they are healthy biblically, are looking for a, a few fundamental things, and, and one of them is absolutely authenticity. The second thing is actually sound doctrine and, and temperance in terms of the manner in which that worship service and uh The interaction between leadership and the congregation goes, that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for perfection. But what our author is saying is that you have the category that says emotions are nothing. That's the second group that he says. He says, given the moral and spiritual slide, emotionalism facilitates in our broader culture. It's not hard to understand why this stoic approach to emotions has been popular in Christian circles. The experience of a woman I know captures this problem all too well. She lost three children in three years. Wow. While many in her church expressed sorrow and compassion, she still felt pressure to be in church the next Sunday with a smile. So everyone could see how good God is when life is hard. Was she exaggerating the attitude others had? Perhaps I hope so. But even if she heard an exaggerated version, the underlying mentality is all too common. We must carve out room in our theology for watch this now. Godly sadness, godly fear, godly anger, godly guilt, godly shame, godly dismay and the like. That's good, isn't it? I got to take another break. Got to pay some bills. Three lines open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. What are we talking about? If you just dropped in, I can kind of put it in another category. It's called emotional integrity, particularly for the people of God in the context of our walk and witness, both in the church and outside of the church. The article is written by one Alistair Groves, and he states your emotions aren't the most or least important thing about you, and we want to learn a little bit more about that, and then we'll engage in conversation with yours truly on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Do you have a handle on your emotions? Do you struggle with them? Would you like to talk about it? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back.
0: And now back to Lifeline. All right,
1: we're back. The time 542 on the mon- mon- uh, Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me, uh, I'm going to pull, I'm gonna, I got two lines open, by the way. If you want to call in one One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. one Those of you who are online already on the phone line, just hold on. Let me get through the third part of our, um, our author's article. Your emotions aren't the most or least important things. And I'm raising the question. I'd love to hear you. Um, Talk about the struggle that you have with them or how you have uh, been able to, by the grace of God and the mystery of maturity in Christ, get a handle on your emotions because they're there. You can act like they don't exist or you can over depend upon them and they will both have a tendency to wreck us. And as I stated before the break, there's a pathology in our churches. And this is where leadership has to be very careful. There's a pathology in our churches where, um, uh, you know, whatever, uh, frequently a denomination will have a tenor or a character, a a kind of persona. Uh, an image and when people go to those churches uh, depending on how influenced the leadership is upon the church in terms of a kind of package style particular denominations operate out of operate out of you can know what you're going to get again i remember years ago traversing the nation and preaching in different congregations small ones larger ones and always um Always aware of when I went into a smaller congregation, the fear they would have, largely or kind of apprehension, particularly if I went into non-black churches. Being an African American, how difficult it was to um, experience just just a, an authentic expression of welcome and warmth. Uh, and interestingly enough, a lot of that was mostly in your Bible Belt and on the East Coast. Not so much East Coast, but in the South uh but but in California I didn't have a whole lot of that, but every now and then I run across certain congregations and denominations that do not demonstrate a, a real healthy what I would call emotional and emotional integrity uh and, and our Arthur is calling us to task on that he says um that uh, I have personally experienced the blessing of being in a church amid grief. But, so much of the comfort I tasted was uh Romans twelve fifteen in action. People wept with me implicitly affirming the uh badness of death, affirming grief was a right response to something grievous. It's a tragedy when we twist god's sovereignty uh sovereign control over every atom in the universe, which truly is a bedrock of our hope in the face of suffering and make it the reason why one isn't allowed to feel bad. Now, do y'all know what he's talking about, particularly in our churches that really tout sovereignty, not really knowing how to integrate the sovereignty of God with the immanency of God and the attributes and characteristics of God in his involvement in the lives of the creatures that he made, particularly man whom he created in his own image and likeness. Uh, and therefore misrepresent the attributes of God by saying, hey, get over it, God's sovereign. That's what he's basically saying. Certainly we aren't meant to be enslaved by our emotions, he says. However, stoicism misses that emotions, even negative ones, are a God-given gift as an aid in obedience. And it misses that the Bible, especially Psalms, is full of godly negative emotions. Did you hear what he stated? Godly, negative emotion. Most fundamentally, our emotions are an occasion for connection with the Lord. Bingo. If we pour out our hearts to him, remember Psalm 62, eight, pour out your heart hearts before him, you know, God is a refuge for us. Um, and so he finally gives a conclusion here. I want to state, and do. we'll, we'll start talking. He says, unfortunately, even the most problematic emotions are never the true problem. The true problem is the collection of warped loaves, warped loves. Ooh, I didn't read that. He says the true problem is the collection of warped loves in our hearts and the shattering of God's good creation. Instead of fighting dark feelings because they feel bad, we must carve out room in our theology for godly sadness, fear, anger, guilt, shame, dismay, and the like. Without them, our faith becomes lopsided. Veering constantly off the road, God's word would keep us on. We need a third way, a way that takes our emotions seriously without handing them the keys to our lives. He, he, he get those for me. Thus, while we can sympathize with elements of both hyper emotionalism and stoicism, we must reject their oversimplification. You got to do that in, in church period. Stop all of the overgeneralization and oversimplification. Just study to strike the balance and being able to understand complicated matters, matters that have two and three layers and, and layers that, uh, only apparently contradict each other. Just, just be a little bit more thoughtful about complex issues. That's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, and that's exactly where we have, uh, that, that's exactly what we have in the Lord who for the joy set before him. He used the word joy. Hebrews 12. It's an emotion. He endured the cross's shame. That's another emotion. Wept tears. That's another emotion. Felt furious. Another emotion. And even new dismay in the Garden of Gethsemane. Another emotion. Because he loved his father and his precious people, he tasted deep joy, sorrow on our behalf. May our hearts grow more like his that our feelings may follow. Great job, Alistair Grove. MDiv at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary, serves as the executive director for the New England branch of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. I think that was a good article. And what say ye, one What say ye? I do want to make sure that we can kind of embrace the principles of Christian identity, biblical truth in terms of our walk with God and uh, being able to get a handle on our emotions. But I am going to have to take one more break. So uh, Andy, you hold on, Marlis, you hold on two lines open one, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, all of the years of your Christian walk up to the moment, you know that they really have been around the struggle of how you feel and how you think and therefore how you act, and you probably have never ever had to been really had to be really confronted with integrating your emotions with your spiritual understanding until maybe now. So I'm hoping over the course of this next hour, we can actually develop this thing, develop it. All right? as we got some plans for the near future at grace. We want you to be a part of, as we are seeking to be men and women of integrity, two lines open one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. I will be right back.
0: And now back to lifeline.
1: All right, as I stated before the break, two lines open, one triple eight, three six seven five, three two nine. Let me go to line one and talk with Andy. Andy, thank you for your patience, young man.
2: Hey, Pastor Jesse, how you doing?
1: I'm good. Where are you at right now?
2: I'm in Palo Alto.
1: Okay. Uh you have not left work yet?
2: No. I am waiting to make this call and then I'll be heading
1: on home. Okay, good. Now so, uh, I I do yeah. know what you are calling for, uh, and that is our coveted Uh, Revelation Bible study, uh, Bible ministry coming this Saturday? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, As a rule, uh, generally Jesse will call every now and then, Chana will call, but I'm glad you call. We're always excited about that. So what's coming up this Saturday?
2: So this Saturday we're meeting between eight and two p.m. eight a.m. and two p.m. in the children's hall over at GBC. Right. Uh, We are inviting everyone to come out. Everyone is welcome. And uh, keep in mind that you don't have to stay for the all all the six hours. That uh, you can come and leave at any time. You can do fifteen minutes. You can do half an hour and um we have a great time we it's an awesome time a wonderful time to to serve the lord and we have a great time fellowshipping together uh food is provided gracefully by GBC and we thank you for that and so um we just want to see if uh, as much people as come come out this saturday because uh We have a great need. We've been growing and we, right now we need more and more people. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I can just say a little bit about the ministry, uh, it started approximately five years, uh, five, five years ago. And, um, it started with one case of Bible. And and two people doing it. And and now, Pastor, we are we have grown to where we are in need of more people to come out and help. Uh, specifically in the engraving department. Uh mm-hmm. what we do, we send Bibles out to inmates to different prisons all o- over the state of California. Mm-hmm. And uh mm-hmm. we personalize the Bibles, we engrave their names, we uh we write uh we tab them to the point where For someone who never had a Bible before, we would uh, point them to certain scriptures that we would want them to get started on, Right, you know, like John 3, like Luke 15, you know, and and things like those. And and so that's what we do. And um, I guarantee you that you'll walk away more blessed than the people you think you were blessing by sending them a Bible. Because uh, like one of the volunteers said a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's like a double-edged sword. You come in trying to bless someone by helping sending a Bible out to them, but when we read the testimonies of these people that are in prison, and you hear the zeal and the hunger for God's Word, you can't help but realize that uh, where you are at, and with your freedom and realize how you the the need to grow closer and closer to God and that these people that are in prison, Pastor, you don't hear a word of remorse or anything. In fact, they are just anxious to get the word one quick story the mm-hmm. last time we read about, uh one of the letters that came to us we receive approximately 50 letters per week right now sure and um and um one of the letters this one gentleman he was in there for a long long period of time and uh over 10 years and he got transferred to another prison and in his letter he said when he reached among his possession, his Bible didn't make it with him. wasn't mm-hmm. transferred with him. Right. And in his letter, he specifically said, I felt alone. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had no protection. Right. And I needed to right. be able to commune, to commune with my God. And he, so he said, if you guys can please, please send me a Bible, he said, I would appreciate it. And when you hear that, you can't help but see the work that God is doing within those walls. And and these are people that don't have their, they are incarcerated, don't have their liberty. And it, it can't, you can't do but be, how you say, motivated to want to get deeper and deeper into the world. And, and study when you hear the way these these prisoners are talking on referring to their walk with God.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, to be a little bit more specific, now for time's sake, we're talking about um, coming out on Saturday. If you guys don't have anything else to do, and you, you know, you either you have tasted of what uh, what grace is like to be able to serve uh, disadvantaged people, um, or you are you thinking, you know, Lord. Uh, I'm not doing anything from 8 to 12 or 8 to 10 or 9 to 10 or 10 to 12 Mm -hmm. or 12 to 2. And uh, I live in the Oakland, Hayward, San Lorenzo, uh, Union City, Fremont area. I can drive down and hang out for an hour, learn how to do it. We do have... strategy it is not chaotic the atmosphere is wonderful we do have as a rule 25 30 people coming out on a saturday but we've got room for more because as andy stated uh the 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 desire and the requests are growing and we do uh we do want to be able to get the bibles out in a timely fashion you gave one of the more general um testimonies, Andy, but the testimonies are even more compelling, even more uh, humbling, even more emotionally heart-tugging when you get into some of the more precarious situations with which the inmates talk about. But ultimately, what we enjoy about Revelation Bible ministry is actually putting the Word of God into hands, into the hands of inmates um, who are going to be doing time for a while. And we don't give out little cheap Bibles. We give out quality Bibles. The engraving is personal, so when the people get it, they get a quality Bible with quality engraving, and then they get several pointer passages to help them comprehend what the true gospel is and how to establish a legitimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a wonderful work, and I'm glad you called to remind us of that, Andy, and I'm sure we're going to get not only the saints at Grace coming out, but as you know, there are people who always come out from different places um, every third Saturday. Saturday, and this is the third Saturday for them to come out it will be May 11th correct yes sir May 11th all right I'm gonna let you try to get that track get in that traffic and get on home and uh, be safe and I'll see you toward yes. the end of the yes. week Okay. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you. Indeed. Indeed. I love the ministry. We love it at Grace. It's a, uh, a humbling but joyful task to be able to serve our brothers and sisters in prison. Read Matthew 25 and you will have all you need from the master himself about convalescent ministry and street ministry and prison ministry and hospice ministry and hospital ministry and things of that nature. Uh, He expects wholeheartedly for his people to not sit on their butt and just talk about all the blessings we get from God, but in response to the grace of God in our life to be called to serve uh, for his namesake. It's a wonderful time. You can call the office if you want to get involved. Grace Bible Church uh, in Hayward, 510 886 9782. 510 886 9782 if you want to be involved this Saturday for Revelation Bible Ministry. Now I've got three lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine And before we go to break, I, I want to talk to Marlis on line three about our topic today. Marlis, are you still there? Hi. Hi. Are you still there?
3: I'm still there. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you. And are you calling about our topic or something else? About the topic. Okay. All right. So we're talking to our audience about uh, the uh, precarious nature of our emotions and how uh, sometimes they get the best of us and and, uh, sometimes we we can uh, regulate them uh, but it's a very it's a very challenging issue i think for the for for the body of christ a uh, part of it is theological the other part is in my opinion uh sociological the other part is um is, is personal psychological so in terms of what you heard how do you want to contribute to our dialogue
3: i'd like to make a little statement about it okay Well, first of all, I'd say that the more a person knows about grace, the more they'll be led away from uh, falling for lies about emotions, and the less they will be hoodwinked and guilt-tripped about their own emotions from others who cannot handle real emotions. Okay. I believe that 95% of Christian leaders pastors, and others have no real understanding of the topic that you just broached this afternoon. So that means that 95% of Christians and churchgoers are um, pretty much lost when it comes to knowing what to do, how to feel about our emotions. Uh, Being real is not what church is known for, so the field is wide open, and we're pretty much still in the pioneering stage of learning how to process our emotions. I think talking to other cultures might help. My observation, as yours seems to also be, is that Western European uh, culture is kind of stoic. Yep. I see black culture is kind of still uh sometimes overly emotional from just the PTSD of our cultural experience in this country, yep. and that even that hasn't even been addressed, yep. I, I think um, it would be a good idea to check out the historical, biblical uh, pre-incarnation of Christ and during-his-carnation cultural uh, way of dealing with emotions. I know the Jewish people have a wailing wall, a public wailing wall, and along with Bible study, I think those kind of things may shed some light. But as I have grown through your ministry, I feel much more validated about just having my emotions and having very deep emotions. I have deep joy, and I also have deep and I look at both of them as, as valid, and that God is there to help me and other people through theirs. That's what I have right now. Yeah,
1: great. I, I you know, easier than easier said than done in terms of uh, managing something that God does not want us to either ignore or worship. As the, uh, the the writer of this article, he did a great job in just broaching the topic. I would agree with you too, Marlis. That. Um, We are the inheritors of a trajectory of history going back some uh, 350 years now of um – of a denial of uh the virtue of emotions simply because of a number of prevailing objectives on the part of uh of uh the the prominent European culture that it, it, and I can kind of localize it as a metaphor to just kind of make it um more personal, and I'd love to hear other people talk about it. I certainly do appreciate that you were able to capture the extreme of stoicism coming out of Europe uh, as in general, not, not in particular, because people will all have their own unique uh, anecdotal stories, and I'd be glad to hear them and we can engage about it. But certainly when you talked about the uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder of African Americans relative to the whole uh, traumatic experience of slavery, which cannot be ignored relative to Uh, You know, reactions when you narrow it down to a local family, um, you can see this on a microcosmic level that if parenting is not done with the greatest of uh, care or insight. Uh, it's going to impact the children and the children being impacted are going to impact their, uh, their, their, their siblings and then are going to impact their schoolmates and then are going to impact their local neighborhoods and then are going to impact. And you can see the reverberating effect where we are not actually learning how to integrate in a, in a sound biblical way, uh, how we feel. Uh, and with that analogy, I think people will be able to get the point and I'm hoping that we'll have more conversation around it, uh, in the second hour. Cause I'm going to actually be talking about kind of what we have been dealing with in our daughters of grace, uh, series around, uh, emotional fog and here to come being overwhelmed and feelings, feeling overwhelmed has everything to do with discombobulation, a loss of control and, uh, Imbalanced uh, emotional stability. So thank you for that contribution and thank you for that call. And uh, we're going to take a break, pay some bills. And when we get on the other side, I'm going to share with you uh, some observations scripturally to kind of uh, affirm a bit of what Marlis was saying about how the Old Testament frames dealing with the Imago Day both the spiritual and the emotional, uh and, uh, and, and what Christ would say about it as well and see if we can actually make some headway. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine is the number to reach me. If you want to, um, echo our up advance, um, what was said by our previous caller, I'd love to hear from you on it. We are talking about, um, Emotional integrity, uh, authenticity at the level of uh, gospel clarity uh, and maturity in the life of the people of God so that men and women who really need help can find help beyond uh, some of our superficial appearances of happiness or sadness or both. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistin. Again, the number is one 367 5329 All the lines are open. I want to hear from you. Do you struggle with it? Do you have it under control? Or are you getting it under control? Do you see the necessity of that element of your identity, called your emotions, being, uh, being, being, um, uh, brought into captivity by the grace of God, so that you can be a better testimony and witness to other people. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Does this matter to you? I'll be right back.